All right. Grab your Bibles. Join me. Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. So the ones that sang the special this morning are some of our new members, Jacob and Abby Acosta, and they did a wonderful job. Aren't you grateful for them? Amen. <clears throat> Luke chapter 15, we're starting a new series called Start Over. Very near and dear to me. This is my favorite passage in all the Bible, and I hope that you will enjoy. Before we get there, though, jump with me. Keep your place in Luke 15. Jump with me to Revelation chapter number 5. Real quick, real quick. You're getting this for free. God put it on my heart while we were singing Run to the Father. Um, real quick. Revelation's the last book in the Bible. Chapter 5 is right after chapter 4. <laughs> Verse number 8. Just imagine, you're here. This, listen, if you're saved today, this, this is a scene that you will see with your eyes someday. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb. Brother uh, Birchfield and I had to talk about those elders just a little bit ago. Having every one of them a harp and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So what are they doing? What are we going to do when we get to heaven? Worship. But something specifically. Look what it says. And they sung a what? Uh-oh. Come on, Baptist. A what? A what? A new song. Do you realize in the book of Psalms, it tells us and commands us seven times to sing what? New songs. So you go all the way back to Israel. God was telling them to sing new songs. We're going to get to heaven someday, and we're going to be singing, uh-oh, new songs. I don't know about you, but that seems to tell me that in the in-between, we should still be singing new songs. All right, I'm just throwing that out there. It's free. You don't have to take it home if you don't want to. But it's there if you want it, all right? Um, one of my favorite Old Testament Bible stories is the Old Testament prophet named Jonah. You all know the story of Jonah. God comes to him and calls him. And uh, what is Jonah's reaction? He runs. I mean, he quite literally runs away from the Father, right? He runs away from Jesus, and he is running as far away as he can get. He goes to the port town, and he finds a ticket literally to as far away as he can get to on a boat. That tells me one thing. Hey, listen to me. Teenagers, young people, adults, listen. You know what that tells me? Is that if we're trying to get away from God, the devil will write the ticket. Do you know how often that boat would have showed up? Twice a year. That boat would have gone to that port just once every six months. And it just so happened that Jonah gets there right when the boat, going the furthest away as he can get, is there and ready to leave. That tells me that if we're trying to get away from Jesus, the devil's going to make the plans easy. Today, some of you, God is calling you to do something, and the devil has already made the plans so that if you run away from the call, everything's going to work out just right, at least for a short time. He's going to allow you to get on the boat. He's going to allow you to get going in the wrong direction. But I promise you, if you try to run from God, God's going to show up to help stop too. Because once he gets out into the deep seas, here comes a storm, right? And this storm is so violent that these seasoned fishermen are afraid. And they begin to ask all of the people on the boat, 
is, uh, is your God mad at you? Could you imagine asking this question? Is your God mad at you? And they go and they finally get to Jonah and Jonah's like, yeah, it's my fault. And, and so they try to save him, but Jonah finally relents on them. Hey, pick me up and throw me into the water. Could you imagine thinking that this is the best thing for you? But they pick Jonah up and they throw him into the water. And right when he touches the water, the storm stops. Whew. I don't know about you, but I get a complex. It just stops. And, but he doesn't swim. I don't know if he can or not. But he starts to sink. And here comes this old fish um, and swallows him whole. Jonah chapter 2 is this unbelievable prayer of repentance to God. I don't know about you, but if God was trying to get my attention and I ended up getting swallowed by a fish, that would probably do it. Can I get a witness? So he's in the belly of this fish and he begins to pray a prayer of repentance. The chapter ends with the prayer, but chapter number three in this four chapter book, verse number one says that um, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that knows all of our faults, all of our insecurities, and that when we run away, and sometimes quite literally, he is patient, loving, and kind to come to us the second time. Aren't you glad that you serve a God that gives you more than one chance to get it right? Aren't you glad that you serve a God that gives you third, fourth, fifth? Some of us are on our thousandth chance. Can I get a witness this morning? Right? We serve a God that doesn't give up on his people. I praise the Lord that I serve a God that has given me more than one chance. He doesn't write his people off when they mess up, but he forgives them. And we can run back to him again and again and again. Just look at Moses. God calls him to ministry. And he reacts by killing an Egyptian. Have any of you killed any Egyptians today? Right? Consider Mark. He abandons Paul and Barnabas on his mission trip. But Acts 15 tells us that he was restored and used of God in a great way. And he ends up writing one of the four Gospels. Look at David. He messed up in some mighty big ways. But God still used his life for glory and honor. Then there's Peter. He denied the Lord three times, but Jesus forgave him and used him to be one of the mightiest preachers our world has ever seen. Hey, friend, have you ever been working on a project? And you have this idea in mind. Maybe it's one of those projects where your kid has had the assignment for two weeks, but they tell you the night before. Anybody? Right? And, hey, Dad, it's got to be done by tomorrow. And so you're working on this project, and you have this idea, but then it just doesn't go right. Anybody? Is that just me? Uh, Sometimes when I'm writing a sermon, I I have this idea. I want it to go here. God, help me make a path for it making revisions and it just doesn't work and so what do you do you start over you know what some of our lives need today we need to hit that start over button you've been living one way and God is calling you today 
to press that start over button and literally wipe the slate clean. Back in high school, I played basketball. And basketball was my sport, loved basketball. And our biggest rival was State Line. Does anybody want to guess what State Line it was? Ohio. It was the only team on our schedule that was from Ohio. It was a big school. Um, they were good at basketball, and we were good at basketball. And I'm telling you, everyone was just a battle. My senior year, though, I'm telling you, our team was stacked. We had players everywhere. Um, we had outside shooting. We had inside post play. Um, we, had, we had everything. Um, Michael Jordan came to a couple of our games and got my autograph. I don't know. It, it, it happened. Um, um, but that senior year, we played them at the beginning of the year. In fact, they were our first game. It was in their building. We were excited about it. Man, we had the entire preseason, that's all we practiced for. We were practicing to beat state line. And we ended up beating by 25 points. I'm telling you, it was the greatest day. The Ohio governor just resigned after <laughs> that game. Um, and so we, we played, and then the season went on. And let me tell you, we had a great season. By the end of the year, we were going to the playoffs. We had only lost three games. And those were by only a total of like seven points all together. Um, the, we were the number one seed going to the playoffs. And the last seed, the, the bottom seed, just telling you, I just want to repeat, the bottom seed was that team from Ohio. Come on. And, man, we were excited about it again. Man, I'm telling you, we were, we were pumped. And so we were getting ready. But what we had in mind the entire time as we were preparing for this, well, we beat them by 25. We, 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 we could beat them literally with one hand tied behind our back. And we were already preparing for the next team. We already knew who it was going to be. They were a good team. We, so we, we kind of looked past them. And by the end of the first half, we were down by 17 points. 17 points. But the thing is, it didn't get better in the third quarter. Because about right in the middle of the third quarter, our coach called a timeout. We were down by 19 points. And he looked at all of us. And, I mean, we were beating ourselves up. We were down on ourselves. You ever seen your basketball team, your sports teams? I mean, it's just, it's more mental than anything else. And so he looked at us, and he said, there's plenty of time left on the clock. Make your mindset believe that right now the game is starting over. Forget everything I said before at halftime. Start over. It's a brand new game. The score is 0 Zero. You see, our focus was on being down so much that we couldn't get into our rhythm. But as we were leaving the huddle, he said, there's plenty of time left on the clock, and as long as there's time on the clock, the game isn't over. We ended up winning by eight points. Do you feel like the enemy is running up the score on you? Do you feel like you're behind in the game of life? Have you been discouraged by the scoreboard, so to speak? You're down and you don't know what to do? God brought you here today to declare to you that there is still time on that clock. If you're not dead, God's not done. Today, you can start over. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. Don't give up. Get back up and start over. Look with me at Luke chapter number 15, 
verse number 11. It begins very simply. And he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I want you to notice one of these words. And am no more underline or circle the word worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thine hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. And I love verse 24. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's pray. God, we love you. We bow before you today grateful for your word. Pray that it impacts our hearts and our minds. For those that need a fresh start. I pray today they will start over with you. In your name I pray. Amen. What Jesus does. He shares with them three different parables with really four different main characters, a shepherd, a woman, and the two sons. And what we, what we find here is Jesus is really just answering their criticism with these parables. I love the fact that in this passage, Jesus is trying to show who really is worthy of his attention and care. These Pharisees come up on the scene, and they start giving a head count of the people that are sitting around Jesus. Do you know what he finds? He finds that some of them are tax collectors. He finds that others are just plain sinners. It doesn't give them any other description except for sinners. Anybody else say, oh, me, right? He, he's sitting around here, and here comes these religious leaders, all pompous, all pious, do you know anybody like this? Come on. Come on. Are you all with me this morning? Do you know people like this? Do you know how they walk? Have you ever seen these people? I always picture them walking like this. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's how I picture them. They're walking in. Their hands are tied. They got the Baptist belly. Come on. And their nose is up. Right? And they don't notice that Jesus is loving on people that need love. They just take stock of the types of people that Jesus is sitting around. And Jesus hears what they say, 
And so he tries on the spot to get them to have God's perspective. And so these stories are all shared to reveal the value of the human soul. To show the length that our God would go so that you and I would know that we are loved and cared for by God himself. And we get to this passage and we look today at the story of what we'll call the prodigal son. Here's what you need to know before we jump in. The main character of this story is not the prodigal son or, and it's not his brother. The main character of the story is the dad, the father. And for the entire month that we were going to be looking at this passage, he will be the main character of every sermon that we preach. Listen to me today. God the Father is the main character of your life, whether you know it or not. So first thing, very quickly, we see a selfish request. Verse number 11 tells us that a certain man had two sons. I just want you to picture this man had been working his entire life to raise a family and to provide for this family. He had sacrificed and worked hard so that his boys could have the best bringing up. They could go places that they wanted to go. They could go into Dallas and watch Lionel Messi play today, right, Park Cooper, and see him play in FC, FC Dallas. Um, they, could, he, they could get the best togas, you know, the name brand ones, right? Come on. They could get the, uh, the, um, the chariots with the spinning rims, right? Um, he worked hard so that they could have nice things. But then one day, the younger son comes to him and says, hey, dad, I need my stuff now. According to the culture, the older son would get a larger portion. Jesus makes it easier to know what the portions would be. In this case, the older son would get two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son would get a third. So the younger son comes and says, Dad, what you have been working for your entire life, I want you to give it to me right now. According to Deuteronomy, the only time that this was supposed to happen was when the dad was on his deathbed. In effect, what the younger son is saying, Dad, I want all of your stuff, but I don't want you. Can I just be honest? Does the world live any different? We all enjoy God's blessings every single day. The sun shines on the righteous and the wicked the same. The, the rain comes on the righteous and the wicked the same. And yet there are so many people, even some Christians in this room, that take advantage of God's blessings without wanting a relationship with the God of the blessings. He comes to him, and it would be a slap in the face. But the problem is, the text doesn't reveal all of this situation, but it wouldn't have been as simple as going to the bank and making a withdrawal. The dad would have literally had to sell portions of his estate, parts of his land, his cattle, all of these different things. There would have to be business transaction after business transaction. We're talking about months of work that would have to go by in order for the son to get his part of the inheritance. Can you imagine how awkward this would have been around the house? I imagine there was tension, there was probably a lot of different things, but I want you to also to notice the selfishness of it. Did you notice what he said? He says, Father, give 
me. When it comes to many people, including Christians, our entire world revolves around me. God, give me. God, I need this. We do this in our homes. We do this with our families. We do this at church. This is my ministry. It is going to work this way. Give me. Did you notice how selfish and shocking this request was? But the Bible tells us at some point he divides unto him his living. This father had poured his life into building his estate so that he would have something to pass down to his sons so that their sons and their daughters going forward could enjoy the sum total of his life and work. The younger son wanted what the father could give him, but he did not want the father. Number two, let's talk about pig pen theology. The son gets exactly what he asked for, but soon finds out that life away from the father doesn't end well. This type of theology is rampant in our world and in many churches. Pig pen theology begins with pleasure at any cost. You know what that's called, don't you? It's called hedonism. It's this idea that my life is supposed to be enjoyable every moment of every single day. Do you know what it leads to? A total lack of self-discipline. Does that sound like the culture that we live in right now? Everybody wants everything right away. It's no wonder our country is in, what, $26 trillion worth of debt. You know what we're funding? Our hedonistic lifestyles. This type of theology is rampant. Do you know where this theology ends? In a pig pen. Now, it might not be a literal one for many of us, but it most certainly is a figurative one. Listen, I see people who have come to the end, and their life is nothing but shambles because of the way they have lived their lives, for the past few decades. It's a theology that is always moving you away from what's right and leading you down, down, down. The words in this story are important. Remember the stories are to reveal value, to reveal worth. The son leaves and the Bible says that he wastes his life on riotous living. Sin always leads to waste. He is removing value all of the time. He values, however, what the world can offer because he believes those things will add value to his life. And people, all of the time, still fall for this. They think alcohol will add value to my life. A nice car and a house will add value to my life. If I was popular, I would feel like I was worth something. A girlfriend or a boyfriend will add value to my life. Friend, I promise those pursuits will always lead to the same place of emptiness. Eventually, like so many people after him, have found out his money runs dry. And along with his money, his friends also run away. The far country of wine, women, and song has become a land of weeping, worry, and sorrow. He found out too late that sin carries with it a high-priced tag. The son goes off and has friends as long as he has cash but the cash runs out. Now he finds himself out in the farmlands working with a farmer feeding pigs so hungry that he is willing to eat the pig's leftovers. The people in the crowd would have gasped because they know that the father represents a Jewish man and this son was Jewish and now he is working with pigs who were dirty in Gentile land which was also considered dirty. 
the boy finds himself broke, alone, and miles away from the father. But his actions, he finds himself separated from the only person in the world that could help him. He's separated by a wide gulf of sin, pride, and ignorance. And so it is with every soul that is lost in sin. They are separated from God. He loves them, but their sin stands between them and him. What a waste. What a tragedy. The Bible tells us that he begins to be in want. Life had turned upside down for this boy. When the music stopped, his friends left, and the money was all gone. This young man found out that he had some needs that he could not meet. His sin had robbed him of everything of value, and it left him hopeless and helpless in a far country. He was broke as a joke. I was hoping someone would say, how broke is he? Let's say it again. He was broke as a joke. Thank you, brother. He is so broke, he opened up a Gmail account just so he can eat the spam. Come on. He is so broke, a family saw him kicking a can down the street, and someone asked him, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm moving. He's as broke as a joke. Why? Because he believed the lie of the devil, that sin pays off. Did you know that it also pays to live for the devil? It pays dividends that you can't even imagine. It pays in broken lives ruined marriages, it pays in shattered dreams, damaged trust, health problems, hopelessness, depression, defeat, and even death are all part of the package of sin. Someone rightfully said sin will take you farther than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you're willing to pay. Don't worry, sin always pays off. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sin also brings suffering. Think about this. Here he is, no home, no help, and no hope. No one cares for him at all. He is starving and would have taken the pig's food if he could have. He is suffering because of the choices that he made. Hear me. This young man is suffering not because of a church. You can't put your decisions on someone else's shoulders. This young man is suffering not because of his family. His dad would have been there for him in a heartbeat. This man is suffering because of his own choices. No one around him cares for him anymore. He is alone and lonely. He is hungry and broken. What a sad shape to be in. But for this young man, it was his own fault. Friend, if you're suffering because of sin today, that's 100% on you. Sin also brings shame. His choices led him to the pig pen. Here's a Jewish boy who finds himself feeding pigs. For a Jewish man to stoop to this level would mean that he had reached the very bottom of the barrel. He must have been filled with shame. Those who heard Jesus say this must have been shocked beyond belief. Those who allow sin to have its way in their lives always come to shame sooner or later. 
Listen to me. If there are some things that you hide from me, you may be successful. But I promise you, if you are a believer, God will bring them out someday. The shame of a wasted life. Hey, adults, how many young people have you seen with all of the promise in the world to live a life of surrender to God? But sin got in the way. And they chose a different path. The shame of wasted opportunities. But worst of all, there's a, the shame of wasted eternity. It's a disgrace to sacrifice your finances, your fitness, and your family on the altar of sin and self-indulgence. But what a shame it is to live that way. And what a shame it is to die that way. You don't have to die that way today. The gospel works and you can be saved. What a shame to live that way. Friend, there's going to come a day. When they will all be ashamed in the presence of the King of Kings. Can I be honest? This is my story. I'm the one that grew up in the Father's house, so to speak. My dad's a pastor, and all I have known in my entire life is church. I have been to church more than some of you have spent in your own houses. Literally, I, my dad, I was homeschooled for a number of years, and that meant I had to go to church many times and do my schoolwork there. And so I was at, at the church building all of the time. I was 17 years old. Let me tell you, I was on fire for God. I ended up going to a college right after graduation, turned 18, and this college sucked all the life, Christian life out of me. They had rules on top of rules. They were as stringent as can be. I was in the dean's list more than I wasn't, and the dean's list wasn't a good place to be. And so I went to uh, two semesters a year, and I just dropped out. I couldn't take it anymore. And as I dropped out, it was almost like I was walking away from God. Age 18 and 19, I was as far away from God as I had ever been in my life. I got some friends that helped to lead me to places that a Christian shouldn't ever be. I got into alcohol. In fact, to this day, I haven't had, well, I guess I have had one, legal drink. Uh, that's a story for a different time. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> that's a story for a different time. Um, but I drank myself to sleep some nights. And this was my scene. I literally could only have fun with a bottle in my hand. Until literally January 1st of 2004. I had gone to a party the night before. That day was a Sunday. And drunk myself into a stupor that I can't even remember I drove home and to this day I can look at you with all honesty in my heart and tell you I don't know how I got home safe I woke up hung over you know what I had to do that morning I had to go to church and teach a Sunday school class you know what this tells me that there are people here you may be sitting in a seat looking like you're close to God but you're as far away as I was and you need to get right today I went to church that day, taught my Sunday school class, and listened to a guest preacher. 
Let me tell you, that guest preacher, I could preach his sermon verbatim today. Because it was almost like that he was preaching directly to me and there was nobody else there. But what happened before I went to church was my dad was watching the news. My dad gets really up really early, goes to church, studies and prays, and then comes home. And while he was waiting on us to get ready, the news was on, and the news turned on to a story of a couple of friends that I knew and had been with the night before who had gotten to a car accident and had died on their way home. And it immediately hit me. Instead of telling them about the Jesus I claimed to love, my lifestyle helped ensure that they would never make it right. And in that moment, it was like, all of my decisions for the past 18 months were just hitting me over the head. And so I went to church. Can I tell you, right when that invitation hit, I was on my knees at the altar. But I knew as I was praying there that I had to get right at home too. And so at home, in front of my dad and my mom, I confessed every single thing. And I got right. Can I tell you what it was? It was like I hit that start over button. Hey, 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 Christian, listen to me. I don't know how much grace I had left. I don't know if I would have continued down that path if the story of my friends would have become mine. I can already tell you I didn't know how I got home. What if the next week I didn't make it? But God allowed me to hit the reset button to start over. Here's this young man, point number three. Getting past your past. Look at verse number 17. When he came to himself. Don't you love that phrase? Can I tell you what it is? He was living in insanity. Here's a young man that has a father with great wealth. And he is feeding pigs and hoping to get their leftovers. Do you know what that is the definition of? Insanity. But Christian, do you know what the definition of a Christian that lives away from the father is? It's insanity. Can I just tell you what some of you are this morning? Like me on that Sunday morning in July or in January of 2004, you're being insane. You're honestly thinking that you can do whatever you want and there will be no consequences. But I can promise you there has been consequences and there will be consequences. If you continue down this path, the conclusion is obvious. Friend, I still deal with those consequences 21 years later. It's time to hit the start over button. You know what I hope this message is? I simply hope that this message is kind of like this young man sitting in that pig pen, looking out at the lifestyle that he made, looking out at all the circumstances and all the decisions that have led him to this point. I hope that this is that moment for you. Where you're sitting in that seat, looking at this preacher, wondering if this preacher is right, and the Holy Spirit will be just like a light bulb. He's right. And in this moment, you'll come to yourself and realize that my life is always going to be better 
when I'm with the Father. And so the son, can you picture it? He stands up. I don't even know if he gives his two-week notice. He tries to wipe off all of the stains of the old life. Can you picture him? He's probably, the only thing he owns is the clothes on his back. And can you picture those clothes? They're nasty with pig slop. They're smelling more like pigs. He's dirty from head to toe. And he tries to clean himself up. And what is he doing as he's walking back? We don't know how far away it was, but all we are told is that it is a far country. He is far away from God, his father, and he is trying to get home. And you know what he does? The Bible tells us. Look at verse number 12. I'm sorry, not verse number 12. Um, verse number 17. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thine hired servants. You know what is happening here is the younger son has been practicing his comeback speech. We all do this. We all do this. We all try to make ourselves right in front of God. And that's why I picture him trying to clean himself up. My dad's going to see me. The father's going to see me. God's going to see me. I'm back in church. Some of you are like, oh, my goodness, a lightning bolt's going to strike, right? I'm back in church. So we try to clean ourselves up. We try to get the evidence of our fallen nature off of us. And this son rehearses his comeback speech. Dad, if I could line up all the dads in the world, you would be the best. No, that's not right. Dad, do you remember that time we played ball in the backyard? No, that's not right. Can you see the anxiety? Can you feel the tension? And he finally comes up with his father. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Did you notice the word worthy? No more worthy. So he gets on his Vespa and he goes back home. I don't know if he had a Vespa, but he gets on his Vespa and goes back home. Before we go on, notice the word worthy. It's a Greek word that means I have earned something. He believes his dad will no longer love him because of what he's done, because of all of the bad things he's done. Friend, let me tell you, none of us are worthy. None of us deserve his grace or his mercy or his love. None of us are worthy. Friend, we aren't given our worth because of what we have done. We are given our worth by birth. I've given this illustration with Cooper as the star, but he's in the room today. So I'm going to use our youth pastor's son, Atticus. <laughs> Just imagine tomorrow, Atticus wakes up, and mom and dad are at the table, and he walks over to the table, and he begins to pour himself Cheerios. And I know that two-year-old boy is already pouring himself his own cereal. And he pours himself his cereal, and he sits down, and he looks at his dad, and Atticus has on that serious face. And he looks at his dad and he says, hey, dad, today's the day. And Parker looks at him and says, what is the day for? He said, today's the day I am now worthy to be your son. Woo. I don't know what Parker would do. But if one of my boys came to me and said that, you know what I would say? With all of the love this preacher's heart could muster. I would look at them and say two words, shut up. 
Shut up. I want you to go back to your room and put on the clothes that daddy paid for. I want you to go back to your room and make the bed that I paid for. I want you to come back out and I want you to brush your teeth with the soap or with the shampoo or well, maybe the soap, but the sh- uh, or the shampoo. What am I trying to say? <laughs> the toothpaste <laughs> and the water. I promise I don't make my kids do that. <laughs> that I paid for. My kids and Atticus, they haven't earned the right to be our children. They were born that way. Listen to me. When it comes to God, our Father, we don't earn the right to be in the family. We are born again that way. We are now a part of the family, not because we deserve it, but because God gave us his grace and his mercy. How crazy is it that we could think that we could earn God's love? But here's this boy, and you know what he is thinking? He's thinking my dad's going to be mad when he sees me. Do you know what some of you are thinking? If they only knew who I really was. If they only have heard what I said this week. If they had only seen the things that I have done. Nobody in the church would love me. If they don't love me, there's no chance God would love me. But friend, let me tell you, God loves you. We're going to talk more about that in coming weeks. I pray that you'll come back. But understand, you are not worthy because you have earned it. You are worthy because you were born into the family. Number four, and I'm done. What we find when we come home. As this young man heads home, he didn't know what he might find when he got there. Woo, man. Could you imagine the things that he was going through? He didn't leave on good terms. He's got, the dad's probably gotten reports, you know, new spreads. He's going home, and he's thinking that when his dad sees him, he's going to run at him. And do you know what he sees when he gets home? His dad running at him. You know what he's thinking? My dad's going to kill me. He probably gets out of his phone and gets on Twitter or X. Is it X? Gets on X (laughs) and says, this is going to be my last tweet. Hashtag, I didn't stand a chance. Hashtag, he came in like a wrecking ball. You know what I'm talking about? Here comes Dan. He's expecting to get smacked over the head. But no. The dad doesn't yell at him. The dad doesn't point a finger at him. He doesn't say you're not welcome anymore. The dad does no such thing. The dad runs and embraces him and starts to kiss him just remember he had been trying to clean himself up probably very unsuccessfully this boy is dirty from head to toe but the dad doesn't care because he loves him and so he kisses him and the son tries to get his welcome back speech ready he tries to go through it but the dad doesn't care he's just glad his son is back home and so he gets one of the greatest shopping trips in the world ladies He tells the servant, hey, go get a ring, go get a robe, and go get some shoes. And he brings them back. Can you just imagine with me? 
a servant comes holding these things and he places the robe around his shoulders so that everyone would be able to see that this boy looked like the father. Remember, he left with all his stuff. So you know whose the robe it was? It was the dad's. He placed it on his shoulder. What did the robe do? It covered all of the evidence of an old sinful lifestyle. Do you know what Jesus' righteousness is compared to? A robe of righteousness. And if you come back today, our Heavenly Father will take the righteousness of Jesus and he'll drape it over your shoulders and it can literally cover all of the mistakes, all of the sins, all of the habits and you will not look like yourself anymore because you'll look like the Father in heaven. He gives him the road and it signified his position in the household. He gives him the shoes. Servants didn't wear shoes. Only sons did. It was the father saying, hey, son, you're not coming back as a servant. You're my boy. But then I love this point. Did you notice? Look with me. One last thing and I'm done, I promise. Look at verse 23. And bring hither the fatted calf... And kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Can I get a Baptist witness this morning? Come on. They take the biggest cow they got. They kill it on the spot. They must have a butcher shop in the back because they butcher it on the spot. And they take off the best. Can you imagine what that? There's barbecue there. Come on now. There's brisket. Woo. There was some filet men yawn going on. I mean, there was some porterhouse steaks there. There, were, there was probably hamburgers all over the place. This was the fatted calf, and you know there was ketchup right in the middle of all of it. Here's what I want you to notice. Listen to me, listen to me. The fatted calf had a purpose. The purpose was the party. But in order for there to be a fatted calf, there had to be preparation made long before. You almost get the idea that the moment that the son left, the father found his servants, picked out a cow, and said, this is the one. I want you to fatten that bad girl up, and I want you to do it until my son comes home. Because there will be a day that my son comes home, and on that day, we all need to rejoice. Here's what I need you to see. The person in your story that's the first mover isn't you. The person that's the first mover in the story is God himself. Do you know what he's been doing since you've left, since you've run away? He's been preparing you for this moment right now. Can you see him getting on his shoes? About to run to you from that far, while you're coming from that far country? Can you see him up there in heaven just looking for you? And he's going to get up and he's going to run. And like the son, the song says, it's our opportunity to run to the Father. Today.
I promise you're not going to find anybody here that will approach you like those Pharisees. We're not going to lift up our nose. We're not going to say you're a sinner or a publican. Just like God, we're going to wrap our loving arms around you. We're going to pray with you so that you can leave this place right with him.